0: Good morning. Today's reading is from 1 Samuel 3-1 through 4-1, found in page 235 in the Chair Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me? I didn't call you, my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak, your your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I am going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called to him and said, Samuel, my son. Here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh, because there he revealed himself, Samuel by his word, and Samuel's words came to all of Israel. This is God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray one more time. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our paths. We ask now that you would give us light to see truths from this passage. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear wonderful things. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. I want you to notice, maybe you already did when uh, Larry was reading this passage of Scripture, how it starts in verse 1. It says, the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. Then watch this. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Apparently, sometimes, God can be silent. Can you imagine that? Maybe you're experiencing right now a season of spiritual drought. Maybe it feels like God is silent to you or distant from you. But on the other hand, consider this. How many Bibles do you have in your home right now? We live in a country, we live in a time period that has a super abundance, a super saturation of access to God's voice, right? But like a lot of things, we take the Bible for granted, don't we? Brothers and sisters, do you take your Bible for granted? granted? If I were to commission a little drone to kind of float into your home and kind of hang out by your favorite Bible, what would it see over the course of a week? Would it see it collecting dust? Would it see you prizing that book as precious you know, there was a time when the prophet Amos issued a horrible threat to the people of Israel. So this is 8th century. This is chapter 8 of Amos. This is a little bit after what we see here in First Samuel. But listen to these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Amos warns God's people, one day God may be silent. And it'll be like a horrible famine according to Amos, something you and I probably never experienced before. Starving people searching desperately for food and kind of running to and fro to find something. But at least with that kind of famine, you could probably travel to a city to find some food. But with this word famine, notice... You can't find his word or prophet anywhere. It's tough for us to relate to that, right? We either don't appreciate the preciousness of the book in front of us, or maybe we don't appreciate how profoundly we are dependent upon this book in front of us. Well, friends, the days of Samuel were days when God's word was rare. My aim, my prayer this morning is that we would each feel... The utter preciousness of God's word by the end of the sermon, perhaps as you're reflecting on it throughout the day, uh, that, that we would recognize it more like a precious diamond or a cherished first edition book or a prize signed Bible, uh, excuse me, baseball, and less like yet another book on our shelf that collects dust and has very little value or impact. Here's the main point of this sermon and passage. You'll see it on your screen. God brings life to his people by sending his word and raising up a prophet. God brings life to his people by sending his word and raising up a prophet. And we're going to look at this passage kind of like uh, you were taught maybe in third or fourth grade. You know, the the literary plot arc movement of a story. So we start with a setting and then there's a uh, rising tension, right? And then there's the uh, resolution and then we find ourselves in a new setting. So we're going to look at those four movements. So here's the four movements of this particular story. We start with a setting. And what do we see in the setting? We see God's word, as I've just said, is rare. God's word is rare. Now, why was God's word rare in this time period? Well, we know that they had an oral tradition of the Pentateuch. So God's uh, law, uh, the law of Moses was available to them. But there were no prophets who would bring them a fresh word. We also know from Judges, which is the context for 1 Samuel, that Everyone did what was right in his or her eyes, right? We saw some things in the last couple chapters, right? Like, like Hannah and her story, you know. And So we're thinking about Hannah. Israel was spiritually barren and spiritually fruitless, much like her womb was. The priests weren't doing their job. They were behaving with contempt against God, against Israel. This was all last week. And so this is why God stopped speaking. At one point he was speaking, but God's people disregarded God's word. And so when they had God's voice, the people had hope. They had guidance. They had what they needed. But with this silence, they were left to wander in the darkness with no voice to even help them come out of the darkness, right? It was the silence of judgment. And so in this rather dark situation, our our attention once again turns to young Samuel. And as you're looking at Samuel, it's interesting punctuating this story, the narrator brings Samuel in very quickly, five times. There's these kind of five bright spots in an otherwise gloomy story with Samuel. And the fifth spot we see in chapter three, verse one, the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. So here's Samuel. And and so we're, we're meant to look at Samuel. And as we're looking at these five bright spots, we're meant to see that Samuel brings hope. Every mention of Samuel should remind us that his very birth is a picture of hope for this nation, for the nation of Israel. If God can give Hannah life in her barrenness, God can give Israel life in their spiritual barrenness. God is working. At the end of Hannah's song, we'll remember this, from a couple weeks ago, we saw a prophecy about a coming king, right? And then we thought, well, is Samuel the king? No, he's not the king. Is, is Saul the king? This is as we fast forward a little bit. No, we know Saul's not a great king. Oh, David, okay. And then we talked about how the ultimate uh, fulfillment of that prophecy, of course, is Jesus. He's the ultimate king. Last week, we saw a prophecy about a coming priest. And Samuel fulfills that in the immediate context. But then, of course, Jesus fulfills that down the road. And this week, we're going to see that Samuel is set up as a prophet. Now, you hear those three words, prophet, priest, king. Interesting, right? Right in the beginning of 1 Samuel, we see prophet, priest, king. We see these offices are being established. So what we learn is this is how God works to bring life and health and restoration to his people. It's through a priest, through a prophet, and through a king. Now, let's look at verses 2 and 3. Here's Eli, poor Eli, right? Not the greatest father, certainly not a faithful high priest, as we learned last week. And his blindness that you see here is a reflection, actually, of his spiritual condition. He couldn't see the light of day, nor could he see the word of God. He was blinded. He was settled into kind of a spiritual darkness, and Eli's situation is much like Israel's situation during this time period. Both are kind of (laughs) sleepy, blind, you know, spiritually numb, and so as we look at old Eli, we ought to sense this kind of growing crisis. If, If things continue along Eli's trajectory, this is going to be really bad for Israel. Israel had Uh, had always needed a mediator to receive and deliver God's word. But here we see this mediator as feeble and and frail and faithless. So what's going to happen when Eli dies? Maybe his sons will step in. Well, you don't want to talk about those guys, right? We don't want those guys to step in. Well, thankfully, the story turns away from those two jokers and towards Samuel. Notice a lamp in verse 3. Verse three says, before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Now, you might think these are just kind of random story details. Oh, there's a lamp there. It's late at night, so forth, showing maybe the geography of where Samuel was laying down, but it's so much more. So this lamp is the seven branch menorah in the tabernacle, just outside the Holy of Holies. You remember the, the ark of the covenant was in this Holy of Holies right in the middle of the tabernacle. And once a year, a high priest would go in and, and sprinkle blood and atone for the sins of the people. And, and so Samuel and this lamp was just outside the Holy of Holies. And that's where Samuel slept. Now, the fact that the lamp had gone out or not gone out, it tells us, first of all, the time of day. Okay, so, you know, it's late at night, but it tells us something else too. Can you guess? It's representative. It's representative of God's silence and Eli's blindness and Israel's darkness. The time was coming when God's house would become so desolate the lamp would eventually go out. But notice what it says in verse three, the lamp has not gone out, right? There's this little flicker, which means there's a little bit of hope for this nation. Friends, let me ask you this question. Is God's word rare in today's society? What'd you say? Hopefully a resounding yes, unfortunately. How so? Well, Consider this. We can answer that question in so many different ways. Let me answer it this way. The Bible invites us to view this world through different kind of categories. One of those categories that's probably the most prevalent category is sin and righteousness, right? Sin and righteousness. And you see that in the Old Testament, certainly see it in the New Testament. Another important category that comes out from the Proverbs is wisdom and folly. So here's kind of two ways that we're, we ought to kind of uh, uh, make judgments and decisions based on these two Categories. This is what the Bible invites us to do. But what about the broader culture? Well, the broader culture has essentially disregarded these categories, right? Today's prevailing model for interpreting the data, whatever it might be, is a therapeutic model, hurt and care. Now, I want to make it clear, it's not that we don't want to acknowledge hurt and offer care as Christians. Of course we're doing that, right? But, but, but it's, it's, it's that the world has disregarded the other two categories, the Bible's categories, and is virtually only embracing this one, hurt and care. Let me give you an example. So that woman who is quote-unquote trapped in a man's body The world has very little concern with how sin and righteousness or wisdom and folly relate to that person. Uh, But they're very interested in the feelings of oppression that that person may feel, right? And bringing relief to that person quickly by affirmation or either affirming things like surgery and hormones. But friends, here's here's the good news. The good news is the lamp is still lit today. Here at Faith Church, for us, the lamp is still lit. In other words, God is still speaking, right? And today we have a complete word, don't we? We no longer depend on prophets. We have uh, the spirit-inspired scriptures in this book. It includes the Old Testament law and the prophets and the writings, but also the New Testament gospels and the epistles and so forth. And God is always speaking through this book. So there's hope, right? Here at Faith Church, we want to stay as close to his voice as possible. We want to acknowledge that really every area of your life and mine your relationships, the, the governance of this church, the place of authority, when the list goes on and on, every area of our lives, and in this church, church's life, is spoken of in the Bible. The Bible has something to say. And so we are committed here at Faith Church to interpreting the data through biblical categories of sin and righteousness, as well as wisdom and folly, not only hurt and care. It's really important. So that's just an example for you, and I'm sure your list is long As you're thinking about the rarity of God's word and the presence of God's word here at Faith Church and in your life. So that's the setting. Let's move on now to kind of the rising tension, which we're examining the story details. We see the next kind of movement God calls Samuel in verses 4 through 15. So God kind of rolls up his sleeves and he starts to get to work in this situation. And he's working to make that light of the lamp a little brighter. He's already promised a king, he's already provided a priest. And now he's going to establish his prophet. So here we see the great call of Samuel. You've got to imagine, you've got to put yourself in Israel's shoes because it was so rare that God would speak a fresh word to this people. I know it's kind of hard for us to do that because we've got a book in front of us. But it was so rare. It was kind of this distant memory. But now all of a sudden, what was rare in those days it just happens. And it happens to Samuel. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I heard this story, you know, in the church that I was kind of growing up at. And, you know, w- when you're growing up in the church context, you have lots of these stories in your head. So Noah's Ark and, you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea and, and this story as well. And it was kind of a strange story. And I remember as a kid, it seemed kind of like the lesson was I got to really listen for God's voice. Like I better not miss God's voice. Right. And And so that was kind of put on me. I remember as a kid and 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 that's just my impression of this passage. But friends, that's not the point of this passage. We are not a prophet like Samuel, right? He's got a unique role and office. And so we shouldn't expect God's audible voice every day, right? We are more like Israel. We're more like the nation of Israel. We're at times in crisis and we lack faith. We're waiting on God to act. So the point of the story isn't expecting God to speak audibly to us. The point of the story is receiving his word and responding to his word faithfully, okay? So what happens in the story? Well, notice God speaks. He breaks his silence. And who does he break his silence to? It's not Eli, the high priest. It's this young boy. Tradition says he was 12 years old. And notice the kind of pattern here. Three times God calls and three times Samuel and Eli. They're confused. They don't get it. Now, why is that? Well, again, God's word is rare, right? This sort of thing just doesn't happen. So they're hearing this voice, and they're, they're thinking, well, maybe it's Samuel's thinking it's Eli, and Eli doesn't know what's going on. Well, then finally, Eli understands and tells Samuel, hey, go, sit and lay down and, and listen for God. So Eli's sight has kind of grown dim, but he was not completely blind. Then we, we kind of get to the end of verse 9, and we kind of are waiting to see what will happen. So Eli tells Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And you kind of wonder what's going to happen. Is God going to say something? Has God given up on like Samuel? I mean, it's been three times, right? You don't have to wait long. Notice verse 10, God speaks. The Lord came, stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. So this is different. This wasn't a mere dream. Uh, Sometimes people think this was a dream. This was a theophany. This was a visitation by God in some sort of physical manner. Like the burning bush or something like that. And so, in some way, God was objectively present with Samuel. He not only heard God's voice, he could sense his presence. And I, again, you just got to put yourself in this boy's situation. You got to put yourself in Eli's situation, in, in Israel's situation. The word of God is rare. This has not happened in a long, long time. At last, right? The words of Edda James, famous song comes to mind at last there was someone in israel who could hear god's voice here is the beginning of god re-engaging with israel moving them from silence to uh, direction from broken relationship to a renewed relationship and it always worked this way god to the prophet the prophet to god's people and then the people respond to god that just that has not taken place in a long time and so god is working to renew that office. I want you to see our God in this story. Uh, I want you to consider these three characteristics of God. Here's the first. God is utterly gracious with his word. Listen, friends, Israel doesn't deserve this level of mercy. They, they deserve God's silence because of their sin, because of their folly. But God breaks his silence. And so now there is an authorized, uh, on-duty prophet speaking God's word regularly. And friends, we, today, in the 21st century, we have this book full of prophets. And he speaks now to us, even though we are sinful, even though we are undeserving. So let me ask you this. If you want to sense his presence, if you want to feel his love, if you want to know that he's merciful towards you, consider that he is speaking to you through this book every moment you open it up, including right now. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it, but God is merciful. It's awesome, right? I've got this book. Number two, God is utterly patient. He's utterly patient. Look at the way God interacts with Samuel in this interesting exchange, right? What do we see? We see the kindness of God, don't we? He keeps on calling Samuel. We see the patient persistence of God. God is in no hurry. There, there's no, there, you know, there's time for Samuel to kind of catch up to where God is at. God is not exasperated with Samuel. He's not annoyed with Samuel. I mean, it seems like he could be three times. Dude, I'm right here. God, God's not ready to launch on an angry tirade because Samuel is being dense. God was persistent and patient, right? Friends, this is how God deals with us. He is not put off by our imperfect faith or our slow-to-hear ears or our immature condition. Listen, he loves working with those who are weak. He loves working with those who are spiritually just a little blind. He loves working with those who are desperately needy. And I just wonder whether you're in that place right now. You'd come. That's me right there. That description, that's me. I want you to be encouraged. Look at what he does with Samuel. He'll do that with you too. Number three, God is utterly purposeful. He's utterly purposeful. When God speaks, he speaks things of great substance, right? He's, he's not a trivial God. He's not kind of dilly-dallying here. He has a very particular aim and end and purpose. He's not wasting time. He's, he's getting right to it. And in this case, there's not a lot of warm, fuzzy stuff for Samuel, right? He's not like saying, "Hey, hey, Samuel, I'm God. I'm going to bless you. You're going to speak to my people. You're going to lead them. You're gonna anoint their king. It's gonna be great. He doesn't say any of that, although that's all true. God first has to take care of some sin and corruption. This is how God works. Out with the old, in with the new. We saw that last week too, right? So, friends, when you open this book, this is what you can expect: some pointed realities at times coming from God. He's not, he's he's always gonna have those kid gloves on. But make no mistake, our heavenly Father disciplines those he loves. Whether it's in a church or in our personal lives, God's going to purge out the sin before he can do some good and bring some renewal and blessing. Out with the old man, in with the new man, right? He's got to clear the path. And I just wonder whether he's doing that in some people right now in this room. Maybe you've been reading your Bible and all you've been receiving, maybe it's been one or two weeks of just conviction. The Lord's pressing his finger on you and he's convicting you of sin or neglect or some, some, some sort of folly, huh. that's God loving you through his word. And so let me encourage you to embrace it. Embrace it. Okay, so we've seen parts of the plot arc, the setting, the rising tension, God calling Samuel. Now we see the resolution. And what's the resolution? God judging Eli. That's the resolution, verses 15 through 18. What happens next? Well, Samuel gets to break the bad news to Eli, okay? Yikes, (laughs) right? You'll notice verse 15. He's scared. He doesn't want to do this. This is hard. This guy's probably 12 years old. And what's his first job as a prophet? (laughs) To go to Eli, to go to Israel, and tell them that Eli's priesthood is terminated. It's over. This This is a really hard word, right? Put yourself in Samuel's shoes. Eli was like his father. He lived with him. He worked with him. He was trained by him. Almost the entirety of Samuel's life kind of cir- you know, circled around Eli. But now he's got to go tell the guy who fed him and clothed him, hey, God's going to judge you. Like, it's got to be crazy hard, right? What was he going to do? Maybe soften up the world a little bit, the word, excuse me, a little bit. Maybe he was worried about his relationship with Eli or his reputation. Can you imagine the pressure this young boy felt delivering God's word. It's kind of hard for us to imagine, right? Or maybe not. Maybe it's not hard for us to imagine. There's a lot of people in this room who endeavor to speak God's word. We have a prophet-like role, not identical to Samuel, but we're teachers and evangelists, right? And We've been given the good deposit of the gospel and God's word. We are called to dispense it faithfully, right? So if you're a Christian, you have this deposit. So my question is, what are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? We face some of the same pressures Samuel faced, right? We come to a difficult section of scripture or, you know, a passage that ruffles our feathers or challenges our views or pushes against the cultural norms. And we've got a choice, don't we? I make choices every Sunday as the preacher here. Uh, You make choices every day as a parent or a coworker or a neighbor. You've got the word, I've got the word. What are we going to do with it? What if it offends someone? What if it's boring? What if it's hard to understand? Should I still speak it faithfully? Maybe I should soften it up a little bit or tweak it or jazz it up a little bit or avoid the weird parts. And if I decide to speak it in the way God desires, will you dislike me? Will your neighbor give you the obligatory friendly response and then avoid you like the plague? Will you be ostracized in your office? Will you be ostracized by your family? Now, look at young Samuel. He deals with the tension of being God's prophet by faithfully speaking God's word. He obeys, right? And and God seems to use kind of Eli's positive pressure. Notice verse 17. Hey, I'm gonna curse you if you don't tell me. That's kind of a lot of pressure there for this young man. And so in the midst of his fear and with this kind of positive pressure, Sam passes the test, doesn't he? One of my regular prayers here at Faith Church is that every person who handles God's Word, whether it's formally in a fourth or fifth or sixth grade class or informally in other settings, maybe with your grandson uh, or, or maybe you're counseling with God's Word, all the different ways that we bring God's Word to bear in this church, my prayer is that you, right alongside Samuel, would pass the test, that you would be faithful, Because friends, God is speaking through this book. And so any sense of silence today is not because God is silent, but rather because we are silent or unfaithful with this book, right? Okay, so we started with no word in Israel, setting. God breaks his silence with Samuel and Samuel faithfully begins to deliver the message even though it's hard. What happens next? We'll look look at uh, the screen and you'll see God's word is everywhere. Again, Israel had never experienced this level of of God speaking, at least for a a time period, a generation, or or who knows how long exactly. And and now God is coming to speak, right? And it's not just speaking to this one 12-year-old boy. His word through Samuel is going out everywhere. Look at verse 19, chapter 3. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied, and all Israel from Dan to Beth knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. There it is. Man, think about how this must have impacted this nation. You've got this distant memory of God speaking, you've got the law, sure, the priests. You know, they're not doing their job. They're not teaching the word and, and they're corrupt. But now, but now finally, right? The, 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 the first word, and, and notice the first word that comes to Israel is about judgments, judging the corrupt priesthood. Now, this must have brought tremendous relief to some of the Israelites. You know, that faithful remnant right alongside Hannah was like, oh, we're, we've been waiting for this. But there probably was another subset of, of these Jewish people. Uh, and this was kind of a wake-up call to them because they were living kind of unfaithfully maybe because of the lack of teaching and leadership, right? But notice God's word was now flowing through Samuel. God was starting a new season for his people. Remember Hannah and her song where, where God kind of sets the stage. He makes promises and prophecies that offer hope for a bright future. But now through Samuel, he's starting to speak a fresh word in the here and now. You see, friends, this this book in front of you, it's not just this kind of dead, dusty book of history and and good principles that we kind kind of glean from here and there. This is a book that according to Hebrews chapter four, his word is living and active, right? And so when you open up this book, God can speak to you in the here and now. It's amazing to think about, right? That's what we're trying to do even as I preach or other pastors preach. So God starts to clear the way Clear the way through this judgment so that blessing and renewal and that king, that promised king, could come. I want to point point out to you two more comparisons that are just interesting, kind of literary comparisons in this story. First of all, we see this renewal foreshadowed back in verse 15. Look at verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15. Samuel lay down until the morning, then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. Okay, interesting. So what happens after he opens the door? Well, the word of God starts to go out, right? Now, why does that matter? What, what else happened at the doors of this house of God? Remember? Chapter one, Eli witnessed Hannah praying, but he didn't get it, okay? He didn't understand genuine prayer. Chapter two, what happened at the gateway, the doorway of the house? Hophni and Phinehas were sleeping with women at the doorway. So neither Eli nor his sons guarded the doorway to God's house faithfully. And so Samuel, here in this story, he becomes a faithful gatekeeper. Now think about this. In the same place Hannah prayed for his birth, Samuel now opens the doorway to bring God's word and a new birth for Israel, new life for Israel, right? Now there's another comparison I want you to notice. The language of God calling Samuel is similar to God calling another prophet. Do you remember this? Okay, so so think about this. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am. Does that sound familiar? Exodus chapter three, the burning bush, Moses, right? The first prophet is established by God for Israel. There it is, right? And so over and over again, we see this pattern. When Israel is in crisis, when they don't have a good leader, when, when God's house is compromised in some way, what does God do? He sends his word and he raises up a prophet. This is how God acts to change the status quo from the very beginning. Genesis chapter one, verse one and two. What did God do when the earth was formless and void? He spoke, he spoke. He spoke light into darkness, bringing order to the chaos, right? Okay, so what did God do when the people of the earth were spiritually formless and void of life and godliness? He spoke, he sent his son Jesus, who according to John chapter 1 is the very word of God and who brings life in order to the people of the earth, right? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that long ago he spoke by his prophets, Moses and Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah and so forth. But in these last days, he's spoken through Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate prophet. So friends, just as he created, uh, created things through his word, he also recreates through his word. He creates life through his word and rules his people through his word. And here's what this means. I want you to catch this because some of you are experiencing uh, some version of spiritual deafness and blindness right now. You're in a dry season. What this means is that our deafness, our blindness to God can be overcome through God's word and through the living word who's Jesus. So you should be encouraged. Listen, friends, if, if you sense a, a kind of dimness to your spiritual life, if you want to uh, uh, sense God's presence, if you want to know his love, if you want to be drawn deeper into the spiritual life of God, open up this book. This is where it starts. This is where God speaks. This is where Jesus is found. What do you do if you're in a personal crisis or you're in a period when God seems silent to you? What do you do? You, you, you get after this book? Because it refreshes the soul. It makes us wise. It gives us joy. It gives light to our eyes. Listen to Psalm 119. I won't read all of it, I promise. Happy are those who keep his words and seek him with all their heart. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Listen, friends, life, the life that you want, the life that God has within His Trinitarian relationships, He can offer that to you, but that life is mediated to you and me by the Spirit and through this book. That's how how we get it. Friends, our hope will not come through legislation that defends Christian ethics, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Our hope shouldn't be in gimmicky methods and trendy services. We will never compete with Hollywood for entertainment or the business world for savviness. Our hope is in the power of the gospel and his words. If God's word is rare today, it's not because God is silent. God has spoken and is speaking through this book loud and clear. If God's word is is rare, it's because people refuse to listen and Christians refuse to speak. It's because God's people have smoothed away the parts they don't like or simply have lost confidence in this book. This is the sort of thinking, by the way, that has infiltrated mainline churches. I grew up in a mainline church, so I had a close-up view of a church that slid away from God. It was a slippery slope that began with a disregard for God's word. They have the Bible, but they don't use it. They muffle God's voice by not speaking it. They're blind to the power and the goodness, the glory of the Bible. And so what happens? The church begins to slowly die spiritually. The lamp starts to fade. I'm not talking about numbers and giving, and you know there's some huge churches that are doing all kinds of vibrant things for the community and so forth that are preaching a false gospel, and they're spiritually dead. It's really sad, right? But friends, for the Christian, for the humble Christian, for the humble church that holds tight to this book, their spiritual life. Spiritual life. I'm not talking about, again, numbers and giving and and kind of having a worldly impact or having some sort of community impact. Some of those things are okay. I'm talking about what Hannah prophesied to Israel in her song. Do you remember this? Spiritual reversals, God intervening, God bringing life through his spirit to this nation. Listen, friends, if God spoke and a flower and camels and red ants and redwoods of California all sprung up with new life, if he spoke through his prophets and Israel eventually would spring up with new life. Surely he can speak today through this book to you, to me, to give us new life. But you've got to open up the book. You've got to listen to it. You've got to submit to it, right? You've got to sit humbly under it, whether it's here on Sunday mornings, whether it's a sermon, maybe you're in a community group. Discussing the message afterwards or another part of Scripture. You've got to sit humbly under that. Maybe it's your daily Bible reading. Hear these words from God from Deuteronomy. So this is before the time period of Samuel, but it's so good. God says this. These words that I'm giving you today, Israel are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. God's saying, hey, listen, get my word in your life everywhere. Let it permeate your existence. A little snapshot of God's word being prized by this nation, Israel, right? Here's another little snapshot from the 16th century, Geneva, Switzerland the work of renewal that was led by Calvin and others. And they believed so strongly that light and life comes through God's word that they preached, get this, six sermons a week. Okay, so so Sunday there were three sermons. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three more sermons. And so the elders of Faith Church have decided to initiate a new... No. I'm just... I'm just saying, hey, this is a great illustration, right? Here's here's men and women and here's a church and here's church leaders that were so committed and so prized God's word because they believe that this is where all the doors open up for us. This is where we, we get to know God. This is where we get to be equipped to love each other and so forth. And so they said, hey, let's preach six sermons a week. Here's another snapshot, one more snapshot. You may have seen videos like this, a, a plain... Uh, landing on a remote island in the Pacific. And these missionaries getting out of this plane, there's this village kind of gathered around and they're excited, they're rejoicing. And, 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 and the missionaries grab this big pallet and you're like, what's going on? Well, it's a pallet of new Bibles. New Bibles that are translated in this remote village's language. All right, think of the Stobers, right? Missionaries that we've supported for 20 years, 20 plus years, and it took them 20 years to translate the New Testament in this village in Papua New Guinea in their uh, tongue. And and as you talk to some of our folks who went there for this grand celebration in Papua New Guinea, as this Bible was being brought to this village, they would tell you, we could see in the people's eyes just how precious this book was to them, that they now have access They have access to God's voice through this book. people. Here's a little snapshot of a people who prized God's word. Absolutely thrilling, isn't it? Oh, that we here in Cincinnati, we who have access to hundreds of Bibles and, and hundreds of translations on our phones and so forth, may we prize this book and the power and the life that it brings to our church. May we be a sort of faithful, flickering wick like Samuel. May we bring gospel hope and biblical fidelity and spiritual life in this dark season for our country. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence now to consider the passage, to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper.